Romans 6, I, I tend to use the NASB, and I've always appreciated it, so it may vary here and there if you use a different translation, but it won't be terribly different. Last evening, we completed that uh, message which speaks about the righteousness that has been given us as a gift, which makes us thoroughly acceptable before God, apart from the law, by virtue of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, how God vindicated him and gathered us up with him in Jesus' vindication. And uh, we saw that creates a question, and Paul knew that, and so addresses that straight away. So let's get into Romans 6. I'm going to read with you the first, uh, I think, 14 verses, okay? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin, that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also, be, shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for its clarity. Holy Spirit, we welcome you as our teacher. We thank you, Lord, you promised he will lead you into truth. And Father, we ask for that powerful, penetrating reality to take place here tonight, that we get led into truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, we pray, and bless us through your living word. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, shall we carry on sinning, is the question that opens the chapter. To be honest, you find very few people literally ask that question. They sometimes ask the kind of reverse side, like, well, thank you, Jesus, that you've accepted me because of the blood of Christ, but how, how do I actually live the holy life? 
That's more like the question that comes. How, how can I stop sinning? How can I, how can I be changed? How does the Christian live the holy life without the law? How does he do it? What, what's the method? And people, of course, have come up with legalism. Here are the rules. Here are the regulations. Here are the things you're to do and not to do. And it's just a, a list of rules and regulations. That's just religion. That's not Christianity. Some have kind of swung like a pendulum right over the other side and said, well, just let go. Come up with phrases like, let go and let God. Uh, just stop striving, just relax. Uh, now, to be honest, that's not what it says. If that's what it said, I guess Romans could finish here. You know, Paul could say, so just let go and let God. Uh, goodbye, love, Paul. You know, but it doesn't finish there. <laughs> That's not the way the epistle finishes. He's going to make some statements. He's going to, uh, actually going to spell out for us the things we need to know and the things we need to do. All right, we're going to look at that together. The things you need to know. Remembering this, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will free you. Right? The truth has dynamic power to free you. The gospel frees us. But you need to know it. You need to know the truth. The truth will free you. We need to know, to know some things. Until we do, we can be rather like, I think, the Israelites. I certainly felt like this as a young Christian. That You remember the Israelites in Egypt? There was a time when God said, I am going to judge this land. And I'm going to kill the firstborn in every household. And the Israelites were told, now take a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, Kill it, take its blood, dip the hyssop in, and put it outside the doorposts of your homes. And when I come to judge right through the land, and, and I take out firstborn in family after family after family, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. It's important for us to know that it's for God to see the blood. Sometimes we hear Christians talk about the blood of Jesus in all kinds of strange ways. Actually, the blood is always for God to see, whether it's in the holiest of all on the Day of Atonement, where there's no other human being, it's for God, or whether it's outside the door. It's not for the Israelites to keep opening the door and looking at the blood and thinking, well, it doesn't do much for me. It doesn't make me feel any better. They maybe start hearing the shrieks of people as babies and, and other firstborn are dying in homes. And they think, oh, that blood, it doesn't make me feel any better. It's not for you to feel better, it's for God to see. Because God knows the value of the blood. Only God, only God knows the value of the blood of the Lamb. And he says, when I see the blood, I'm satisfied, I pass over. And we have peace because God is satisfied. We don't have peace because we're trying to feel peace. We're trying to feel some emotional thing. God is satisfied. That means we have peace. And he said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. That's a done deal. And so, yes, praise God, they could say, we know we're accepted by God. The blood has covered us. But then they begin to make their journey out from Egypt, and there's the Red Sea. We can't go any further. We're shut in. And not only are we shut in the land of slavery, but here come our old slave owners. They're still pursuing. Here comes my owner. He's the one I've been slave to all the... Oh, I'm still here. As a young Christian, that's exactly what I felt. I thought, thank you for saving me, but I'm still a slave. 
I'm still in a land of slavery. I'm, I'm not free. And, and one longs to be free. Now, of course, we know the story. And to be honest, the book of Romans may well be built and shaped upon the story of the Exodus, the deliverance, because we know what happened. The Red Sea opened up. They went down into it, a kind of baptism, if you like, and then came up like in resurrection life and freedom. And when the Egyptians tried to pursue them and went down into the waters, they closed over, and that was the end of the Egyptian army. They were absolutely released. The the Exodus is the climactic reality of the Old Testament. They were delivered through a kind of death and resurrection, which all points forward to what Jesus is going to accomplish So it's important for us to see, yes, the blood makes us thoroughly acceptable to God. God says, I'm satisfied. You're righteous in my sight. But also, I'm going to actually set you free from from the slavery to sin, to that kind of sense of, well, I can't help myself. I just get dragged down. I just keep on losing out. I get the temptation, and I'm, I'm in slavery to it. No, 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 we're not. We're going to see that tonight, that we've actually been freed by the gospel. And that comes out from this passage. So first of all, we need to know some things. You need to know. And so Paul takes that line. He says in verse 3, do you not know? Do you not know? Some things you need to know. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Now let's just pick up a few things straight away. First of all, he says, all of us. Right, so he's writing to the church and he's saying, look, all of us who are in Christ, that is, who are baptized into Christ, I don't think he's highlighting baptism as such. Some people in the UK some years ago said, oh, if you've got a sin problem, it's probably that you weren't baptized properly. And so they would say, come, we, we will baptize you. We'll use a certain formula. Quite a big sect grew in the UK and in Europe. You need to be baptized properly so you can be freed from sin. We'll baptize you properly. But actually, you know, you don't bury people in order to kill them. (laughs) Think about it. You bury them because they're dead. In fact, if you were going to bury them and they kind of wave a bit, don't bury them, all right? (laughs) So I I don't think it's about baptism as such. I think it's shorthand for converted In the New Testament, if you were converted, you got baptized. So we're talking here about being incorporated into Christ. And notice he's saying all of us. He's not saying, look, there are people who are sinners, they're still in Adam. Then there are people who are in Christ. And then there's some really special, there's kind of the elite. And there's the elite who have died to sin. I mean, they've actually had an experience that set them free from the dominion of sin. I mean, that's the elite Christian. And tonight, I'm going to invite you to join the elite. That's not the message. Right? There's there's no invitation here. It's all of us. If you are in Adam, you're a sinner. If you are in Christ, all this, the Bible says, has happened to us. All of us. All of us. It's being in Christ that's the key. There's not another mystery. And that's one of the things that you sometimes find. People have found the secret of. Come into our group. We have the secret of. No, no, no. It's all who are in Christ. Jesus gets the glory. It's not our unique way. 
all of us who are in Christ, and then notice this also, it's all in the past tense. All of us who've been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. It has ha- it's something, beloved, when you became a Christian, this happened to you. Now, you may not know it. He says, don't you know it? We need to know it because that's what it says, not because we are suggesting a new mystical experience, but we just seem to know. We need to know what it says, what happened. If you don't get an apostolic explanation for the cross, you know nothing. You could look at Jesus dying on a cross and think, well, what's that all about? The apostles tell us what it's about. The Bible tells us what it's about. We understand from the Bible, when he hung there, he took my sin. You wouldn't know that just looking at Jesus dying on the cross. You wouldn't know what that's about without the biblical explanation. Similarly, you don't know necessarily that also when he died, you died. You don't know that unless you read what the apostles were told actually happened there. So it's knowing that truth, knowing the truth. That sets us free. So we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are in all that he experienced. As we said last evening, when Adam sinned, we became sinners. It's not like we can remember that. It's not like you can, oh yeah, I remember, yeah, I was in the Garden of Eden. I remember, yeah, we took the fruit, didn't we? No, you don't remember that at all. The Bible just says you were there, you were part of the human race when the human race messed up. Now we are in Christ and all that happened to Christ, similarly, is accredited to your account. It's what happened to you. You were crucified with him. We were baptized into his death. I'm not exhorting you tonight to try to have a death to sin experience. It's not an experience for you to reach for, oh, if only I could. No, it's something God says has happened to us. It has already taken place. It says in verse 6, knowing this, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. We're no longer slaves to sin. It has happened. It's something God declares has taken place. You might say, well, my old self doesn't feel very crucified. You should have seen me last Wednesday. Boy, I didn't look very crucified. It's hard to feel that. Now, we're not coming from feeling. We're coming from what God says to be true. What does God say? God says in his word, I have been crucified with Christ. Knowing this, my old self was crucified with him. Do you believe that? Let's ask tonight. How many of us here tonight believe that two men were crucified with Christ? One on the right hand and one on the left. How many people believe that here tonight? The vast majority believe that. Now why do you believe that when Jesus was crucified, two men were crucified with him? Why do you believe that? You've only got one reason. It says so in the Bible. It also says in the Bible, you were crucified with him. You've got the same reason to believe it. The Bible says that's what happened. And that is the truth. Now, your feelings may want to argue with that, but that is the truth. God has said that happened. That's God's truth. It's important. 
God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, consider the number of stars. See how many stars there are. Look how much sand there is on the ground. So many will your children be. And it says, Abraham believed God. He didn't say, uh, you need to see my track record. I haven't produced one yet. No, he says, he believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. He's the father of all who believe. He believed because God said it's true. And for us, God has said this true. When he died, we died with him. I remember for myself as a young Christian, I used to commute to London every day on the train. And uh, I remember sitting on the train one day and I was actually battling with this whole awareness that I just felt I'm not free. And uh, the British are quite strange on trains. Uh, we're very formal. And uh, I remember I used to do this every day, Brighton to Victoria, every day. And uh, you get there, you sit on the train, and uh, you put your things up on the top, you open your newspaper, no one speaks to anybody. Uh, it's just a strange place to be. And uh, I remember one morning I was sitting there, and all the newspapers are up there, and the people are sitting around, and I'm reading my Bible. And uh, I'm battling with this thing that I've got a real bad attitude to someone who's in the church I go to now. I'm in the youth group, uh, young 20s, and I'm struggling with jealousy. I'm really in trouble. And I honestly don't remember having had this before, pretty easy going, but I'm really eaten up, and I just, I can't get this person out of my mind. And the previous Sunday, the pastor is preaching, and it's a fair-sized church, big Baptist church, about 600 members, maybe 700 there on a Sunday night, and he's preaching away. And he actually said this, as one of my young people said to me this week, and quoted them. I thought, oh, he's being quoted from the pulpit. And, I, and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking, I'm sitting there on the train, honestly, and I'm thinking, you're supposed to be a Christian. And you're a mess. You just, you know, you just got this terrible attitude. You're hopeless. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, this is awful. I hate this. But, and I, I'm sitting there and I'm reading this. He that has died, knowing your old self was crucified with him, he who has died, verse 7, is freed from sin. And I suddenly saw it. I thought, the Bible says I'm dead. Dead people don't get jealous. You know, you could compliment someone, you know, the corpse next to you doesn't notice. You're free. I su- I honestly, I suddenly saw it. He that has died is freed. That's what it says. And I saw it was so real to me, I laughed. I laughed out loud in the train compartment. And I remember all the newspapers came down, you know, looking at this guy. He not, he not only reads the Bible, he laughs at it, you know. <laughs> Didn't know there were too many jokes in there. But... I, It it honestly was so real, I just spontaneously laughed, and I was free from that moment. I had a good relationship with that person ever. We just became great friends, and it wasn't a problem. Because he that's freed, he who's died is freed from sin. That's what it says. That's what God has declared. Beloved, we start from truth, all right? It's not from trying to keep law. It's from what God says is true, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We who are in him experience this breaking of sin's power. Hallelujah. That's what it says. We believe it. We line up with it. Let's go on to the next step. It says in verse 11, in verse 11, it's stage two. Right? Stage one, know it. Know it because it's true. 
God says is true. When Jesus died, your old self was crucified with him. You're no longer a slave. Secondly, verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Consider it. Now that's the next stage. It's a slightly different step. First you know it to be true because God says it's true. Now next, that's why teaching, oh just let go, let God, it's not looking at what the Bible says. The Bible says know it. The Bible says then consider it. Something you've got to do, I've got to do. In other words, I've got to reckon it. I think the old King James says reckon yourself. The actual word that's used is borrowed from the world of accountancy. Paul often uses language borrowed from the law court. It speaks about justification. This word is borrowed from the world of accountancy, and it literally, in its root, means put it in the right column. An accountant makes sure the figures are in the right column, or he's not a good accountant. All right, so account it, reckon, make sure you're thinking straight, make sure you're lined up with truth. Consider this to be true. Now we have to do that because sometimes you'll slip, sometimes you'll get Satan telling you what a sinner you are, and the temptation is to drift back. Although God says your old self was crucified, you will go back to feeling, no, I'm really a sinner after all. And sadly, a lot of Christians will teach that as well. And so you can drift back to thinking, no, well, I am at root still a sinner. When the Bible says, no, your old self was crucified with him. So you've got to consider that to be true. So you're saying, Terry, are you saying that you just think it hard enough? Is it kind of mind over matter? Is it kind of, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. I don't think, I'm not, think it harder. You've got to think it a lot. If you you keep thinking it, I'll consider it, I'll consider it. I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. Of it's hard work. No, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's consider it's true because it is true. It came home to me once when first of all I ever flew overseas from the UK. I went into Spain. And we flew from uh, London Heathrow to Barcelona. And as we flew in, uh, the pilot said, welcome to Barcelona. The time is four o'clock. And I remember I looked at my watch, it was three o'clock. Still working, perfectly good watch. Four o'clock, what's he talking about? See, the fact is Europe's different to England. It's four o'clock. He said it's four o'clock. And I thought, oh, well, what do we keep the pilot happy as you walk past him? Oh, it's four o'clock, really, of course. You know, it's, it's three o'clock, really. We know, it's three o'clock, really. No, no, when you, when you get into Barcelona, it is four o'clock. So change your watch. When you are in Christ, you've died to sin. So change your thinking. Line up with reality. By changing my watch, I didn't make it four o'clock. It was four o'clock in Spain. It's a different time zone. It's like when I came here the other night. It's six hours different over here. Change your watch. And if you travel a lot, you find the sooner you get your mind into that new reality, the better. And sometimes everything about you is saying, what am I doing up now? I should be in bed now. Because your body still feels like it's back there. But the reality is, in St. Louis, it's six hours different to the UK. You need to line up with truth. Not so as to make it truth, but to live in the reality of truth. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? Consider it true because it is true. In Christ, sin's power is broken. So reckon that to be true. Reckon yourself. That's what the Bible is telling us. First of all, know it's true because it's true. Secondly, line up. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Reckon on these truths. Let these truths affect the way you think about yourself and about what God has done for you in Christ. You're a partaker of the divine nature. Know the reality of what God has done. So consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Line up with truth. And then there's one more thing I want to look at this evening. Verse 13. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Don't let sin reign. See, sin needs an instrument. When we have the musicians, we're going to worship, they, they reach for their instruments. They're, they're going to have an instrument for the music to play through. Sin's looking for an instrument. And when you were a sinner, sin used your members, it says here. The members of your body. So it says here, don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin. Don't let, verse 12, sin reign in your mortal body. Now why does the verse need the word mortal in it? Why does he say mortal body? Why doesn't he just say body? Why, why do we need the word mortal in that verse? I want to suggest to you that he's reminding us that we still live in a body that has yet to experience salvation. Our bodies are not yet saved. My soul is saved. I have a new spirit within me, a new heart, new spirit. But the salvation of my body is a future deal. We're going to get new bodies one day. It's good news. When you get past 21, that's really good news. <laughs> We're going to get a new body one day. It gets better news as the years slip by. Salvation of our bodies is still future. We read in Romans 8 and verse 23, it says, We're groaning within ourselves, waiting eagerly our adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. It says elsewhere that this, this, this vile body, it says in the old King James, be transformed to be like his glorious body. We're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to get new bodies. That's appropriate to this new spirit within us. That's future salvation. That hasn't happened yet. So I'm a new man and I'm living in an old body. One day the old body is going to catch up. I get a new body as well. That's what the Bible teaches. We've, this, we've experienced salvation, but there is a hope still before us. The salvation of our bodies. Meanwhile, we live in bodies whose members used to be instruments of sin. We used to touch things we shouldn't touch. We used to look at things we shouldn't look at. We used to listen to things. We, shouldn't listen. we used to say things we shouldn't say. Our members sinned. They were instruments. Sin looks for an instrument. And so here, first of all, we know truth, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We reckon that to be the case. We are freed. Then the responsibility of living that out comes to us. Because of this, 
We make good decisions. We decide, I'm not going to give my hands to that. I'm not going to give my eyes to that anymore. I make decisions based on who I now am. I live out the realities of who I am. And so the gospel, almost in every epistle, you get a kind of turning point. It says, God has done all this for you. And in Romans, you get right through to chapter 12 before he says, right, therefore I appeal to you, present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, because Jesus has done all this. Religion's the other way around. Religion says, there's a God up there, here are all the rules you have to obey. The gospel says, God has done all this in Christ. He's taken your guilt. He's taken your shame. He's offered you eternal life. He's given you his spirit. Now be careful what you do with these bodies that are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know what you join your body to? You take Jesus with you. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, don't you know your bodies are the temple of the Spirit? So he uses a new covenant argument. He doesn't say to them, don't you know the law? The law says you shall not commit adultery. He says, no, no, no. It's a new covenant argument. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's not just about obeying a law. It's what you do with God. God's in you. What are you doing with your body? He says, if a man sins against his body, that's so serious. And so, beloved, living the godly life is taking seriously the phenomenal thing God has already done for us. And saying, no, I take responsibility for these hands, eyes, ears, as a completely new person in Christ. I've been transformed from within. So I don't hand my members over. I don't make silly choices. I don't get into situations that might teach me to compromise. That's, that, that is the discipline of the Christian life. You see, discipline is different to legalism. And that's why we've got so many chapters in the God's Lavish Grace book. We can't open up every chapter here. But that, that question needs to be asked. What about discipline then? Well, discipline is something I choose. I choose to discipline myself because of my new relationship with Jesus. Legalism is saying, you have to do this and this and this. Thou shalt. Grace teaches me to say no. The law says, thou shalt not. Grace teaches me to say no, thank you. From inside. So I make choices based on the new man that God has made me to be. It's a completely different deal, but it produces a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and scribes. It comes from the heart. So we make good choices. See, it's no good saying, well, you know, when I'm with my girlfriend and we love one another a lot, sometimes we're in the car late at night and we kind of start kissing one another and, you know, before we know where we are, we're doing stuff we shouldn't do. I kind of, I kind of get caught up. Well, what's the way? Well, this is the way. Don't go there. See, it's, it's an amazing revelation. Don't get into those situations. You can get newspapers in England. I mean, dreadful newspapers. They've got very good soccer and cricket and sports pages. I mean, they're really good. The front pages are outrageous. Naked women everywhere. And the guys say, well, I like the sports pages. But when I open the other pages, I'm in trouble. I've got an amazing revelation for you. Change your newspaper. You see, it says in the Proverbs... The wise man does not go down the street of a prostitute. 
But you might say, well, that's the quickest way. I want to get from A to B. That's the street I'm going down. A prostitute lives down there. Yeah, I know, but... No, the wise man says, I'm going the other way. See, godliness has a lot to do with good choices. Say, I'm not going there. I'm a new person. I don't belong there. I don't want to get involved with there. So I'm making choices. I want to please the one who called me. I don't want to find that these members that used to go there and are somewhat used to that might drag me. You see, I'm not teaching sinless perfection, which some have taught. I'm not teaching the eradication of sin, which some have taught. I'm teaching you are a new man, that's what the Bible says, and you take responsibility for your members. You don't offer them up as instruments to sin. That sin because, ah, I can play with this. No, 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 don't do it. You make the choice based on who you now are. You make good choices. And you say, Lord, help me to do that. And he does. He gives you the ability to do that. Now, it's terribly important that we understand that God has freed us to live that kind of a life. It's important to know what he has done. Sadly, some Christians don't take seriously what the Bible says God has done. They feel, no, no, it's just a battle. It's a constant battle. And essentially, you're still a sinner. Some would actually teach that. You're still a sinner. I mean, you've found... And some would say, what is a Christian? A Christian is one sinner who tells another sinner how to find bread. I saw that on a bumper sticker. A Christian is a sinner who tells another sinner where to find bread. I thought, no, no, that won't do. Paul doesn't write to the sinners who are at Philippi. He writes to the saints. He says in Ephesians, you were darkness, you are now light. It's not you're trying to keep the rules now. There is an identity transformation. You were sinners, you, are, you were darkness. Now you are light. In fact, in this very passage, it's important we see what it says about our relationship to sin. He says in verse 16, don't you know, when you present yourselves to someone as slaves, he goes on to speak about slavery. Verse 17, thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient to the heart, from the heart, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18 is important. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now please notice this is not an exhortation, it's a statement. See, so often, we evangelicals, we turn promises into exhortations. We say, try and be. It doesn't say try and be, it says this is what's happened. This is the good news. The gospel is not good advice, it's good news. There's a great victory. In fact, the word doesn't have origins in religion. It has origins in the announcement of a victory. The Greek word for preaching the gospel. It's like that marathon runner when he first ran that 26 miles and he made the announcement. He said, we won. That's the gospel. It's, it's an announcement of victory. It's happened. You're free. You used to be, it says, you used to be a slave of sin. Verse 18, having been freed from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. Do you think of yourself like that? I'm a slave of righteousness. That's what it says. That's what's happened to you. It's a bit like this. Right, sound men, don't be scared. I'm not using the sound. I'm just 
using this chain, right? So here we are, I'm a slave. I'm a slave of sin. All right, so sin says, come on, slave. Okay. Come on, slave. Okay. And sin says, come on, slave, we're going out. Oh, are we? Okay. I'm just a slave of sin. Sin says, stand there. Okay. And sin goes off, and you're in the marketplace. And righteousness comes walking through. Says, hello. Hello, I'm a slave of sin. I'm going to buy you. Really? Yeah, I'll pay the full price for you. Oh. You are no longer a slave of sin. I paid the full price. Oh. Oh, wow. Not a slave of sin anymore then. Righteousness. That's right. You're my slave now. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm a slave of righteousness. Righteousness says, come on. Okay. I'm in bondage to righteousness. Can't help myself. That's what the Bible says. You became a slave of righteousness. Do you think of yourself like that? We still sometimes think, well, actually, I'm still enslaved. You are not in slavery to sin. The price was paid. It says here, you became a slave of righteousness. You can't get enough of the stuff. You're just eager for more. You love more. That's what God's done in you. So sometimes it's funny, isn't it? The weekends, you go to church on Sunday, you have a busy Sunday, maybe you worked with the children, maybe you didn't even get into the meeting. You go back to work on the Monday. Have a good weekend. Yeah, what did you do? Well, I was in church. What happened? I looked after some kids. What, your kids? No, somebody else's kids. Huh? <laughs> what did you do that for? I don't know, really. I think I'm a bit of a slave to it. I think I'm a slave. I think you do what? You give your money. Why? Do you have to? You do that. It's lots of things we do, beloved, because we're actually we're slaves of righteousness. We feel really at home there, and so we feel we feel so at home there that when we do something that belong, you think, "Oh gosh, I should never have done that." You feel out of. You feel like a fish out of water. What am I doing? I should never have said that. You get very sensitive. I know when I was a sinner, before I became a Christian, we used to have crazy weekends in my hometown of Brighton. We'd go back to work on the Monday, first coffee break. All the young guys in the coffee area. What did you do at the weekend? Oh, should have been there. Party. Oh, the booze, the girls. Oh, fantastic. And we'd boast about how much we sinned. And everyone, oh, we did this, we did that. Oh, wow, what a weekend. Yeah, you should come down one time. Fantastic. (laughs) Totally in slavery to it. Now, now, I'm a Christian. Sometimes you think, I said something to a brother, you think, I do hope he didn't misunderstand me. You know, you even phone sometimes. You know, when I said that, I didn't misinterpret me. I mean, this, you know, no, it's okay, I understood. Oh, good, it's okay. You think, what's wrong with you? What's your problem? Phoning in case they misunderstood. You used to boast about sinning. Now you all... No, God has done something profound in us that makes us feel comfortable when we are walking in the light and very uncomfortable and out of place when we slip because that's no longer being true to the miracle that God did in you. You're a slave of righteousness now. Jesus has bought you. 
That's what it says in the Word. In fact, it's very important for us we don't let the word born again get stolen from us. I don't know about here, but in the UK, the sports writers love the phrase born again. So if a guy was boxing, or maybe he's a soccer player, and he's been injured for a a season or something, and then they get him well again, and he starts fighting again, or he starts playing soccer again, and you'll find headlines on the sports pages Born again, such and such. They love this phrase, born again. They mean he's having another go. That's what they mean. When the Bible says born again, it doesn't mean having another go. It means you've had another birth. You're a new person. Some friends of mine had their third child at home. Most people have their babies in hospital, but they had their third child at home. And uh, one night... They put their two little ones to bed and in the night everything starts happening and in the night the baby's born. And in the morning the two little ones come down and say, who's he? He wasn't here last night. (laughs) He didn't exist before. He's been born. So important to understand that. I've been born. This is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, it's new. We've been born. God's given us new life. And it's very important we understand, what, what do I think my identity is? You see, some of us feel, well, you know, we're covered with righteousness, but underneath, you know, if you undo all the kind of onion layers at heart, I'm just an old sinner, really. And the Bible says this, I will put a new heart within you, and a new spirit within you. So your identity at heart has changed. And it's so important we understand that because it's important what our identity is. Let's imagine, uh, let's say, this speaker here. All right, this speaker, some of you can see it, so maybe you can't. That's a pig, all right? That speaker is a pig. All right, can you see that? That's a pig, imagine that. That's a pig, all right? Pig, you are a pig. Okay, that's your identity. So pig looks up at you, says oink, you know, happy, I'm a pig. Right, your identity is pig. Got it? Yeah, that's who I am. Okay, listen, your identity is pig. Now listen, your calling in life is to fly. See, now I've made him a very unhappy pig because his identity, pig, And his calling in life, fly, are so different, he's going to be a miserable pig the rest of his life. A lot of Christians are like that. They think, my identity is sinner. The Bible says, be holy, for I'm holy. Oh boy, I'm finished. I need a new identity. I need a new heart. I need a radical... Well, that's what's offered. That's the gospel. I'll put a new heart within you. You can be born again. You're changed from the inside. You're a new person. You believe what God says has happened to you. He's regenerated you. He's changed the center of your conviction, your heart, your appetites. You have to live feeding that new person, enjoying that new person, recognizing what God says has happened to you. And so we find that John writing uh, his epistle says, he that's born of God doesn't sin. Most translations say, does not 
habitually, doesn't continually sin. He that's born of God does not continually sin. It also says in the same epistle, if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here in the same epistle, John is writing, I write these things to you that you may not sin. That's my expectation, my intention. He that's born of God doesn't habitually sin. He's not, he's not a sinner. But if he sins, if he, cla- if he slips up, that doesn't throw everything away. It's rather like living in a, a, a great house uh, and the front entrance has some majestic steps, maybe pillars, and that's the way in and out of the house. It also has an emergency fire escape. And the main entrance has, if you like, written over it, he that's born of God doesn't keep on sinning. And then over the fire escape it says, if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us. But the purpose is you go more and more in and out of this main door. And you don't throw away your confidence when, oh, I've sinned. I was just beginning to believe what Terry was saying, but look, I've sinned again. Throw it all away. No, no, you don't. You do not. You take this word seriously. You take the gospel seriously. You say, no, I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I've escaped the passion that's in the world through the very great precious promises. I will add to my faith, moral virtue and faith, because God has done a phenomenal thing on me. But if I sin, And it's very important, beloved, when we know that, that we we don't... See, the devil will say, well, you better not talk to God for a while. You just lost your temper with the kids. You just lied to get yourself out of that problem. And you think, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, but you feel so tender about it. You feel, "Mm," and Satan says, I shouldn't talk to God for a while. Stay in the shadows for a while. Now, that's the thing you must not listen to. Now, if anyone sinned, you go straight to God. When you feel, and Satan will fight you. You'll say, you hypocrite. This is so easy, just saying sorry. And so you're tempted to say, well, I'll just forget it. Maybe a few days later, God won't care so much. No, no, come straight to God. Don't live in the shadows, because that's where Satan will really come after you. Go straight back to God. Say, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. I needn't have done that. I'm sorry I did that. I confess to you now. And Satan will fight you. He'll really fight you. That's so easy. You're cheap rubbish. You have to resist him. You overcome him with the blood of the Lamb. You fight, beloved. You fight. You stay strong in the grace of God. Say, no, I'm not listening to that. God says, if I confess. And then we receive mercy from him. And we we, we don't abandon what God says is true. That I'm not a slave of sin. I I just was foolish. I shouldn't have done that. But I'm no longer in slavery to it. I don't give in and say, oh, I'm still a slave to it. No, you're not. The Bible says you're not. And by the Spirit, you put to death these deeds of the flesh. The Spirit's age, you more and more learn to abide in Him, live in Him, enjoy the life that He is giving to us. You might say, well... 
There's just that one temptation I, I gets me every time. I just don't have the power to overcome it. When I'm alone and I just feel down a bit, it's like Satan comes to the door with that temptation and I feel myself and I can't help it. I just do it again. I just do it. Afterwards, I feel so wretched. But He's got me. I can't win. I mean, it's like a monster temptation. It's so great, I can't, I, I can't help it. So some Christians would say, I can't help it, it's too big. Now the Bible says there isn't one like that. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that God will not allow you to be tempted. Let me just read the verse, famous verse. I think probably many of us know it. It says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Now the interpreters, commentators would say that's got two possible meanings. There's no temptation, but such as is common to man. They say it may mean it's man-sized. It's common to man. Because you may think, well, no, it's not. It's king-sized. It's massive. It's, I mean, it's hopeless. I can't, I'm not a hope. I'm like, a, I'm like a, a ten pin. I stand there, the ball comes down, I'm lost every time. No, there's no temptation, but such as is appropriate to man, common to man. Or it could mean there is no temptation, but such as is it's common to man. You might say, well, no one knows the temptation I know. I mean, this is unique to me. No, no, there isn't one like that. There's no temptation, but such as is common to man. Either of those things is helpful to us. It's saying there isn't a temptation that is impossible to overcome. There's no temptation, but such as is common to man. God is faithful who won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure. But with the temptation, we'll provide a way of escape. So you say, well, I can't help myself. No, you can. You're a new creature. You're no longer a slave. You're new. So you fight the good fight of faith. You lay hold of the eternal life that God's given you. You fight the fight of faith. Not against, well, I can't possibly. No, you can. You're a new person. Make good choices. Don't get into situations. Draw on the grace of God. Sin, it says, will not be master over you. Again, that's not an exhortation. It's a statement. Isn't that a great statement? The verse we finished reading, John, uh, Romans 6, 14. Sin shall not be master over you. You're not under law, you're under grace. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Get someone to get hold of your shoulders, look into your face and say, look, sin is not your master. It isn't. He's not going to master you. I had a remarkable prophet once, and he told me that uh, God sent him to a guy to meet him in his home. And he had a particularly alarming message for him. And the guy didn't know. He just welcomed him to his home. And uh, he just began to chat to him. He said, I've got a wonderful wife. And uh, he introduced him to his wife, and they're having a conversation. And he said, um, he said to be honest, I failed her. Um, I've committed adultery several times. But I, I just can't help myself. Um, I've just done it. It's just a problem I have. And she's wonderful. She's just received me back every time. A wonderful woman. And God knows about it. He said, God knows. God's so merciful. He said, uh, I, just, I just can't help it. I just I get into it again and again. And 
God's kind to me. And this guy said to me, that, he said, God sent me to him. And he said, actually, I said to him, this is the word of the Lord. He says, this is why I've come to you. He said, this is God's word to you about your adultery. He said, oh, yeah. He said, yeah, this is it. God says this, I know about your adultery. If you do it again, you will die. They said the guy was completely freed. He never did it again. <laughs> that was it. He was, he was faithful. All's well. Wow. Suddenly got freed. Whoa, got freed. Look at that. <laughs> Suddenly, come on. I can't help it. Of course you can. Of course you can. You're a new creature. We've been set free. God has made us new people. He's done a wonderful, wonderful thing on us. It's not like that we are, you know, like the prodigal son goes to the far country, he's with the pigs, he comes back, the father says, oh, put the robe around him. It's not like he's covered with righteousness, but, you know, if you open the robe underneath pigs, it's not you're just covered, you are changed, you've been born again. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. That is the fundamental truth for us. God has done it. It's for us to live out the reality of that, knowing that our old self was crucified. He set us free from bondage. Consider it to be true. Keep on lining up. This is the truth about me. God says it is. I'm in Barcelona. Change your watch. I'm in Christ. I'm not a slave of sin. He has changed my identity. He's given me freedom. Make good choices. That's what Paul is saying here. It's not just let go and let God. People try that. People come forward and surrender again. Surrender is a big word in that world. Oh, keep surrendering, surrendering. It doesn't say keep surrendering. It says know this is true, consider it true, and take action. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. If you read the, uh, the Grace book, you'll find chapter after chapter, God has given us a package to set us free. And it's all in Jesus and what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. Let me close with this uh, poem that John Bunyan wrote about the gospel. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he says this wonderful little poem. I'll read it to you twice. Run, John, run, the Lord demands, but gives you neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings it bids you fly and gives you wings. Right, let me read it again. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives you neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings. It bids you fly and gives you wings. God's done a wonderful thing for us. We need to embrace it, believe it, walk in the good of it, celebrate the wonder of it. That's before he gets to chapter 8 and the coming upon of the Spirit. This is basic being a believer, what God has made us to be. I'd like us to stand, please. And I'd like to just pray with you. As I said at the beginning, this isn't an exp- I'm not going to say, would you like to come forward and die? No, listen, it's happened. It's history. It has happened. It's true of us. That's what the Bible says. All of us who are in Christ, we were crucified with him. The power has been broken at the cross. Praise the Lord Jesus. What I'd like to do is, I'd like to pray some short prayers. And I would like, if it would, please, to pray them after me. 
Uh, we're going to pray some negative prayers first, thanking God for what no longer is true. We used to be in Adam. We used to be married to the law. All these things used to happen. Now we are stepped into a new life. Now we're married to Jesus. Now we're in Christ and so on. And what I'd like to do is, if I pray a short phrase, would you please pray it after me if you'd like to? And then at a certain point, I'm going to ask you to take a step, to step across. Right? Now, it's not an experience, you know, save, filled with the Spirit, speaking tongues, and step to the right. <laughs> it's just saying, this is where I stand. This is who I am. This is what God says is true of me. So if you're happy to do that, please do it. If you say, I don't want to do that, that's okay. You don't have to. You stand where you are. Let someone tread on you. Okay, but <laughs> I just encourage you, if you feel you'd like to, just to identify. Let's just draw near to God. Would you say these little prayers after me? Father, I thank you I'm no longer in Adam. Father, I thank you I'm no longer in Adam. I'm no longer married to the law. I'm no longer married to the law. I'm no longer a slave of sin. I'm no longer a slave of sin. Now just take that step. Just step across. Okay. Thank you, Father, I am in Christ. Thank you, I am married to Jesus. Thank you, I am married to Jesus. Thank you, I am a slave of righteousness. Thank you, I am a slave of righteousness. I thank you, I am a new creation. I thank you, I am a new creation. I thank you, I've been born again. I thank you, I've been born again. Father, I just want to pray for these dear people tonight as we've listened to your word, as we've tried to expound it submit ourselves to its authority. Lord, thank you for the glorious gospel that comes to get us right out of Egypt, no longer just covered, so wonderfully covered by Passover blood, but actually set free. We thank you Egypt's army couldn't make it through the, the Red Sea. Thank you we escaped absolutely free. And Lord God, I want to thank you for the glorious gospel that justifies us freely as a gift, makes us accepted in your sight, but also breathes a new spirit into us, gives us a new heart. We thank you've raised us together with Christ. We've been co-crucified with him, co-buried with him, co-raised with him, co-seated with him in heaven, <laughs> heavenly places. Thank you for all the breathtaking things you've done for us because of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You paid the price. You fought the battle. You went into the cross. You shuddered and looked at that dreadful cup and said, is there any other way? And Jesus, we thank you, said, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? We thank you. You drank it to its dregs. We thank you, shouted out, it is accomplished, it's finished, I've done it. And we thank you, said, because I live, you shall live also. Behold, I am he that lives and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Because I live, you shall live 
also. And Lord Jesus, I thank you. You're bringing many sons to glory. I thank you for bringing us out from bondage into ever-increasing freedom based on your triumph at the cross. Jesus, you're our captain. You're our savior. You've done a great miracle for us. We thank you. You've not just imposed loads of rules on us, but put a new spirit within us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. As we live by the Spirit, we fulfill the requirement of the law. As we enjoy the Spirit, we live the righteous life. As we embrace fellowship with Jesus, as we embrace the new life that you give us, Lord, we thank you for the miracle of the new birth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for including us in. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for raising us out from sin's dominion and transforming us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Hallelujah. Thank you. All the handwriting that was against us has been nailed to the cross. We thank you. You've disarmed principalities and powers. They've nothing more to accuse us of. We thank you. The handwriting's gone. Their power to accuse is broken. We thank you. We walk in newness of life by your triumph over death. We thank you. We've been raised with you to newness of life. Let's applaud the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Please can we sing? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Perry Abordocena. Rebardes, Perry Thank you, Lord. You did it. You did it. You did it. You did it. Thank you, Lord. What a winner. What a winner. What a winner. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your victory. Thank you for your victory. Lord Jesus, thank you for your triumph. Thank you, Lord. You conquered. You triumphed on the cross. We praise you for your great, great victory. And Lord Jesus, thank you. You were crucified in weakness, but raised in power. And we bless you that this powerful Jesus lives in us, celebrates with us. Come be glorified, even as we celebrate you now, as we step into a new day. I pray, Lord, just pray right now, Father, for truth to powerfully set us free. Lord, thank you. You said you shall know the truth. The truth shall free you. The truth shall free you. Thank you. The truth is our old self was crucified. We thank you, Lord. We know those two men were crucified. We just know it. It says so. We thank you. The same thing says we were. Our old bondage, our old aptitude to sin, it's been broken. Thank you, it's been crucified. We praise you, Lord, for the wonder of it. Lord, we want to live this new life, enjoying fellowship with you, this being co-heirs with Christ. Lord, bless us as we go on our way. Bless us as we sing your praise. Let us bring you great joy. Let us be full of faith. Let us glorify you. Let us, Lord, shake off the dust, abandon the chains. Arise, shine, put on our beautiful garments, bring you great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.